for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the lucky 13th episode of the second season of This Is Us. This one had the ominous and easily read into title that'll be the day so we started off this episode with this cold open with this older couple george and sandy and they were having that sort of very uncomfortable difficult time when uh sandy was ready for them to head on to their next downsizing home and george was doing that thing that a lot of us do where you start moving around your old stuff but just like kind of moving it from one side of the garage to the other it's definitely a a a tried and true old man thing For sure. For sure. But I kind of feel like all of us kind of have those moments, especially when you're like leaving behind an area, you know, you kind of can't get that, that momentum to actually do something. And um, he finds a jukebox there in their garage. He starts singing it since we all know what's going to come. And then we have to go through him singing the whole chorus until he gets to, you know, that I die to finish off the lyric. Uh, I'm so curious, though, Paul, like, I mean, you and I know that song, but it's an oldie and it's a real oldie by now. That like, you know, I kind of wondered if, you know, people younger than us would be listening to the lyrics like, okay, what? Okay, what's the next line? And then what did he say? You know, like being very unsure about what he was going to say. I mean, as soon as we saw it and as soon as he started singing, I was like, oh, no, you know, I know exactly what's happening here. But you know what I'm going to say? Millennials. Okay. They just don't know stuff. This is not about millennials. What are the people who are like 16 right now? Like apparently people watch this with like their 10 year olds. Which, if you think about it, I mean, there's no gratuitous sex, there's no gratuitous violence or uh, nudity or swearing or anything. So you really can watch it with your family. And so, I mean, a lot a lot of, I mean, forget millennials, like 10-year-olds, would they know this song? I don't know. Mm, good Not question. necessarily. Tell me something. When you were watching it, did you identify exactly which time frame George and his wife were in? Because I... Later on in the episode, when they start talking about buying this house and earlier in the episode, Jack and Rebecca start talking about buying a a house to flip. And earlier in the episode, I remember George and his wife talking about selling their house. And they said that like, oh, the realtor just called. So, I mean, I kind of joined those two. Yeah, I'm Uh, positive they meant it to be a misdirect like that. No, I mean, I don't, there was no possible way that a, like a watcher could have not thought that George and Sandy were not the home that were going to be Jack and Rebecca's first flip. And that, that and then she was the one that called. There's no way because they didn't lead us in any direction. There wasn't anything that I saw in the garage to indicate a certain time period or something because this was an older couple. Everything in the garage was older. There wasn't mm-hmm. anything that like stuck out of like, oh, that was only made in 1970. And even if it was, they would still have it. Even if it was 2018 or 2000 or 1990 or whatever, you know, they'd still have it. So, no, I think that that was a very deliberate, you know, misdirect to try to create, you know, this idea that George and Sandy were very benign when it turns out they were very not. (laughs) Yes. So let's go ahead and move into current day since we know and now know that Sandy and George were a thing of the past. So let's start off with Kevin and what's going on with him right now. If you guys remember, he's living with Rebecca and Miguel and he's starting to come up with his weekly sketch. Mondays with mom at the grocery store, whatnot. And um, I noted that there was like a note on the fridge from mom which is a common theme in this episode of notes from parents to kids. And I thought that that was kind of like a neat little kind of carry through. This Kevin is 
is a pretty improved Kevin. I don't know if he can keep up this level of effort. I hope he can, because it's going to take that to, to kind of get him through. Um, but I mean, this, this is a Kevin that, um, was eager to please and knew that he had things to make up for. And that was his really his only focus, not, not appearances, not anything else. It was all about trying to find a way to say to his brother that he was sorry. And he, and he felt like he could only do that yeah, by showing it. They showed his list of the people he needed to make amends to. And, you know, he's going down the list and he, he did have to go deal with Sophie. What did you think of that interaction? I'm going to stick with my prior guess that Sophie is just too hurt by him to, to keep going. She just can't. She just can't. Do you think that's fair? Like, is it like she, there's no way she could be a whole person and be with Kevin? Because, I mean, I want their happy ending to be together. But, you know, Sophie's words were really true about like, just leave me with the past of like everything being good and having good memories of when we were little and don't keep like piling on sort of like the troubles of now that sort of ruin those memories. They have, they're in a situation where they have too much history, you know, and that history happens to include Kevin blowing himself up twice. So, yeah, I mean, she just, it's a very human, very normal, very, I got to just protect myself here. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't keep going out on a ledge like this and getting just thrown off. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to keep a little burning fire in the back and just kind of hope that maybe somehow Kevin will make enough progress that it will make sense for Sophie to come back and it won't come off like, you know, she's just a glutton for punishment, you know, but like, you know, that it will be like a an earned relationship that that, that can come back together because I would really like that to happen for them. Now, I have to say, when he turned over the list and it said dad, oh my God. This episode, Kevin actually kind of made the most progress in showing me that he is thinking about his dad. He's not just like shunting all dad thoughts away anymore. Right. He is, he's not, he's not deep diving just yet, but he's at least able to to put him on his list, know that he does have a, a, an unpayable debt to the guy and um, and talk about him with Randall later. Yeah, I thought that that, that conversation was so amazing. And I want to get to that when we move over to Randall and their adventures together. Um, but one more thing I wanted to note on Kevin, I did think that it was really great that they gave the the character some karma positivity in his necklace coming back because he finally did make amends with Charlotte. Uh, you know, they showed again, a little note from Charlotte that was there. I think that the theme of these notes going along was, a uh, important, I think. And, you know, she wished him well and miraculously finds that necklace that she was sure wasn't there when he was really begging for it. I was really grateful. I felt like watching him like hold it to his forehead and knowing how broken his heart was at that point to be able to open it and have like a little piece of Jack back felt like, yes, that again, like he earned it. He earned it. He's been really working on himself and he got the universe saw right to give him a reward for that. In the episode when he was arrested mm -hmm. and uh, we posted our, our um, podcast, I, I asked Facebook readers if they believed that Kevin had reached his his true low point and could start rebuilding at that point. I believed, you know, having watched 
enough TV. <laughs> I, I, it just seemed to me for this kind of show, for this kind of character, for this kind of arc, yes, getting arrested and and all that kind of stuff would be sufficiently low for him to to start going back up. I'm going to disagree with you and say that the realization that he would never make be able to make amends with Jack in this episode and Sophie officially saying they're done was actually his rock bottom and it was Jack's necklace that gave him that very first movement to the incline back up. Okay. So I'm going to say that that was his rock, rock, rock bottom was just that, that, you know, I can't ever talk to dad again. And my love of my life has cast me off. A lot of, a lot of the uh, Facebook readers felt he still had a little to go. Um, So it sounds like, sounds like he did. I agree. Yeah. And, and when one would have thought that even, even you could say that, you know, him blowing up at Rebecca or having that pretty ugly therapy session was even worse than the arrest, you know, like that was even like a, another awful feeling amongst the family, you know, that he was going to have to go back again and sort of revisit. So, I mean, I, I definitely think that, that the uh, arrest was like right in there in the slide, but he did still have at least probably three more notches down. But I'm really excited that now that he's made amends and he got that necklace back, I feel like the necklace was like the first gust in his sails in the right direction. And he continues that momentum with Randall's storyline. Randall and Beth have started. Started R and B properties or something like that. I think said that. Yeah. And um, so we can assume from the point when Randall says, "I want to buy this building," to them standing in front of the tenants. You know, you can't buy things in less than in less than like a month. You know, it takes like a month to to turn that all around. That's probably true. And I and I would say that they the amount of work that Kevin had done on himself was probably also indicative. Like he had talked to all those people on the list and, you know, he seemed like he was in a better place and stuff. So that would also sort of be a time indicator that, you know, some time had passed. Uh, Randall is Randall. So he starts promising that he's not going to overpromise to Beth but then as soon as he gets a chance he just starts ra- making a punch list for everybody to see and these people have a lot of complaints oh gosh you know what i, I so i feel for randall because i would be in the exact same position where you would be beth and i would be randall and the first person who said like well can you at least unstick my door i'd be like well of course we can do that i mean that's no big thing and you know immediately i would have turned over the the paper and start making a list of, you know, what I would have deemed those simple things that we could address quickly. So I did think that it was very foreshadowing that Beth had number one on her list was safety. And most especially the fire escapes were the very first thing they were going to do to the building. Yeah, you made that call right afterwards. You're like, Beth wanted to do fire escapes first. And they listed safety and fire escape. Like, it's like, if you just saw those three words and move them around, it's like, safely escape the fire. Like, it's like, ah, you know? Like, I mean, and we all knew. I mean, obviously, a lot of this stuff's like, we knew this this fire was coming. They just continue so well to weave in those themes, you know, over and over again that are like, ah. 
twist in the knife. I thought it was awesome that Kevin's storyline then came back in with Randall. We had talked a lot in our in our last episode about, you know, the idea that we thought that Kevin and Randall and Kate were going to come together to be the big three homes or big three properties, something like that. We didn't really know where Kevin's skill set lie. Like, was he going to be the pretty face or and maybe he would bring, like you said, like publicity and well, you know, not something like that for working actors to also be carpenters. <laughs> Harrison Ford, very famously, was a carpenter in Hollywood a long time before he ever got his first acting job. Well, and I wonder if we'll see anything in flashback form where, I mean, you know, we have had Jack building this entertainment center for some time. I wonder if there will be, you know, some additional time moment when he's showing something to Kevin or Randall about how you fix something. Because, you know, he was the fix-it man around the house and he does seem like the type of father who would really pragmatically be like, you kids need to learn how to fix a fuse box or uh, build a something out of wood or something, you know? Yeah. Like I could see some flashback to that that I would very much look forward to. So it's sort of like a Trading Spaces episode with these two. Yes. Oh my gosh. When they were walking down the hall and Randall starts pulling his sleeves up. Oh my God. That face that Kevin makes that's like, I can only describe as like smelling a fart where he's like... Like he like makes like makes his nostrils flare. I mean, and shakes his head. That is the type of brother relationship that um, I really wish for them at all times. And I'm so glad that they have as adults. I wish we saw more of that as kids. I think we would be less hard on Kevin in our overall assessment if he kept that sort of sense of humor, jokiness with Randall that he seems to have now. What, what's kind of interesting is you know how Sterling and Chrissy get nominated for things routinely and Justin just doesn't but he has those little moments like that that he can he can control his face with, yeah. and he can uh, his his comedic timing is very good i mean i don't know exactly what makes Sterling, the nominatable guy, and and Justin just not. I, I guess well, I just don't know the. So here's what I'm gonna say to that. I think it's I think it's a lot like I'm gonna call like the Meryl Streep syndrome. Okay, which is that I think that she chooses roles that have these very emotional components that show like a lot of range from like being like being a funny person to a serious person to a, a you know a very aggressive person like everything in between. Right. I think that both Kate. But Randall especially has been written with a wide range of emotions. I mean, he can be very funny and he can be crying and he can be a father and a son and mm. a and a husband. And the other two, like especially Kevin, like he doesn't have a spouse to bounce off of or even a girlfriend like Kate does with Toby. Um, he doesn't have kids to have that side of the character show. Well, he, he does. He also, since he since he. You know, up until very recently has been only showing us very surface type emotions. So it was his band, I guess, of yeah. emotional output has been narrower. Yeah. And it's and honestly, I mean, it's again for for like our listener like Ellen, who's like really questioning like what's our issue with him. I'm not blaming the actor and I'm not blaming I really I don't want to say I'm blaming anything. I'm just saying like I don't think that his character has been explored as much on as many levels as Randall and Kate specifically have. And I would say that there's other characters who suffer from that. Like there's a lot of question mark about like, what is Rebecca's full experience here? We don't really know yet. It's real spotty. You know, we see her 
as, you know, as a happy bride. We see her as a pensive mother. We see her as a as sort of a tired, overworked mother. But there's parts to her personality that I don't think are filled out yet. And especially like you've said, like, God, she changes so much from when she's a young woman to an old woman, older woman, I'll say. You know, some of that process gets to be explored on like what that heartbreak and what it does to her physically and how she responds to people, you know? Right. Okay, so I think that from everything that I have talked to all of our fans out there of This Is Us, um, wanted to talk about on things like so many shows.com or on Daily Review on Twitter or on Daily Review on Facebook. The feedback that we've been getting is that the scene of Sterling and Justin, or we'll say Randall and Kevin, like breaking that, like taking their shirts off, breaking down the thing, and all those women like pulling up a chair to watch them. Hysterical. I understand that he's attractive, but in their world, he's also a celebrity. You that's will true. never see this again. No, that's true. And <laughs> definitely know? when he came into the meeting, nobody was like, oh, that's a cute guy. They were like, it's the Manny. <laughs> the Manny's at the meeting. Right. So certainly, yes, I agree with you. And that would be amazing. But I mean, you know, those are two good looking gentlemen. And so for sure. And I'm sure even just the whole, if you think about the, the absurdity of the woman just saying, I want more sunlight basically in this room. And then the next second, a sledgehammer comes in there and they're knocking down the wall. Like it's almost unbelievable sight to see someone do that, you know? If the rock came over and started breaking down a wall and you called over Aisha to to watch, I I wouldn't blame either of you. We would get popcorn popping and we would totally watch. Totally watch. The rock is hot business. Set that up. Hot business. Do what you can do, man. If you got strings to pull, you pull those strings. All right, I'll call someone. So sadly, Randall's big chomp out of this to-do list also exposes some unforeseen consequences. It's a uh, roach infestation. Got to be treated right away because they are everywhere. So I got to imagine like when you were doing the books, right? And you're trying to see how you can run this building. You know you're not going to make a profit right away, but you at least need to cover your expenses, right? Absolutely. So do you, any of your contingencies address the idea of needing to tent the building and relocate all of its inhabitants on day one? Uh I can't (laughs) imagine that the budget would have had that happening on day one. Caroline thought for a second he might be taking them all home. I really did. Like I was kind of, because of the way that he was sort of like escorting them, it really seemed like, I don't know, like he was going to put them in their cars or something and Kevin was going to be there. I don't know. I was like, oh my goodness. Like if they have all these people like sleeping in their living room, like this is going to be hilarious. Because I really thought it would be like cost prohibitive to be putting everybody up in a hotel, even though, I mean, obviously, logically, that makes the most sense is to like go to a motel type thing. But, sure. um, but you know, still, I, I feel really like Randall is just, I mean, those bugs were in there, you know, they're, yes, they're, it, ne- it needed to be taken care of, period. You know, yes. this problem was going to come to light. It's just, did we mean for it to come to light on the first day? What do you think of how Beth handled a situation that had gotten pretty out of hand. I, I really enjoy most of their interactions. And this one, in, this one in this episode was also grand in that they, they started with Randall doing the, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And then her just saying, well, you said everything I'm going to say, so I guess I can go. And then ending with her saying to back to him, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And it was really just charming because they really work really well together. They're really, they're very well written 
characters in that regard that, you know, they they have such an intimacy with one another, like just that whole idea of I know what you're going to say and being able to sort of like fill out the words and just be very good communicators is so like fulfilling for us to watch them because we can understand so much about their relationship and about them as individuals just in the words that they choose and the approaches that they take with one another. I mean, Beth didn't go in there and you know, start yelling and stomping her feet or something. But she made it clear, like, you can't just fly by me when I am the one with the experience with, you know, this population and these buildings and stuff. You can't just, you know, you can't just do that. And she didn't do it in an accusatory way. She's like, and and you're going to say that you're going to avail yourself of your resource. Like, <laughs> that was like such a lovely way to say it, you know? Yeah. I, that's what makes this show such quality and really draws people in because I think everyone would like to talk like that and everyone would like a relationship like that and you would want your spouse to speak to you like that. It's like all very enviable. Right, right. Like he knew he, he had messed up and he had probably done a, enough mental anguish on his own self that he didn't actually need his spouse to come in and say, and another thing. Which, Not at all. You know. Could have happened, but not at all. But not with Beth. You know, before we leave Randall um, and head over to Kate, we do need to discuss that Randall and Kevin had that really touching conversation right when they were about to head to the hotel about dad. And in really interestingly, Randall's belief that he was running out of time and that he wasn't actually going to ever see old age at all. Like he couldn't imagine himself older. He couldn't like it. He had like a very intuitive feeling that like his time was going to be over soon. I mean, I'm not in that situation where a parent died so young that you don't have that, that I can't have that real comparison, but I got putting myself in their shoes. I mean, for one thing, Kevin might not have ever thought of this. Didn't sound like he had, but realizing it in this situation, he, he finally allowed himself to kind of feel it, you know, that dad has been gone. Almost 20 years. Yeah. When Randall said that, I felt like Kevin really hadn't ever done the math. Yeah. And and I mean, and that, again, just provided some insight for like how much he had insulated himself from feeling this. Like he wasn't even allowing really like time to pass. I mean that like literally and figuratively, like he wasn't calculating the days, but also he didn't, he hasn't moved past like his, his emotions and his grief hasn't moved past that day mm-hmm. in the same way that he just didn't even absorb how much time it had been. There's a, there's a character moment there when I forget what was said, but they're sitting next to each other and Randall's just said his piece and Kevin, they give him a few seconds to just, he could respond. He could say something. He could try to lighten the mood like he kind of normally would. But instead, he just kind of looks over toward Randall and they let him do it for a few seconds. And then he just looks back and he kind of closes his eyes and he's just like kind of thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. he's obviously thinking. And uh, that moment was just like a real, I don't know, a first like glimmer of true Kevin in there, you know, not, not trying to impress anybody or anything like actually thinking about something that matters to him soul deep. You know, right. And he was willing to have that like vulnerability and not try to act with any arrogance about it. Just absorb it for what it was. Or like he was with Kate earlier this season when he's like, I don't want to talk about it. You're broken. I'm not. Whatever. You know? Yes. And when I'm going to call that 
under the arrogance umbrella, you know? I definitely felt like we saw some really true bonding there that that we haven't seen in a long time. And certainly, you know, the the hurts are so real with them and their shared experiences are so real. I thought it was really kind of Kevin to turn around and tell Randall, you're going to grow into an awesome old man just like your other dad. I thought that that was really a generous thing to say to Randall, who is like very unsure of himself and very anxious right now. That's been Kevin's sort of counterweight with him. Like he's been able to say just the right things. That's like, look, genetically, you're you're William too, you know, and he grew into a very old man. So there's no reason to think you won't be this awesome, wonderful old man you don't necessarily have to die a young death like our other dad, you know? And he didn't say anything rude, like your real dad or your true dad or anything ugly. He said, like your other dad, like very Mm -hmm. equally, very, I thought it was a very kind statement and a very soothing statement. Like I felt like you could see Randall be like, yes, okay, now I can actually see what my future might look like. I can feel a little bit better. We talk a lot about that in special needs world of like one of the reasons why a lot of families get very anxious is because they don't really have a roadmap the way that a typical person would. And I think that for a lot of people with um, who maybe lose a parent unusually early or something like that, then if you don't follow what is sort of the majority roadmap of like your father getting older with you being a grandparent and, you know, those kinds of things, you don't you no longer have that same comfort of knowing like you're going to do it the way that they did it things get sort of cut off and um and that brings on a an enormous amount of anxiety because you don't have anyone to sort of model it after and i think in that i felt like um you know randall was lucky in that situation in that he had william he knew what being older and what what it looked like you know whereas kevin actually doesn't you know, he doesn't have that roadmap. He doesn't have a father or that figure the same way. That's right. He's he said something to that effect. Or did we just watch so many? No, he he d- didn't. Randall asked him like something like, "What are you going to do?" He said, "I don't know." Or or am I confusing episodes? We watched like three or four last night. We did. Well, we've been you guys. We've been trying to do so much homework for this episode to really try to look back at all the details of what everyone's wearing and all the way back to season one and what everyone was doing in those flashbacks. To be honest with you, I don't know, but I but I do feel like I really did see Kevin for what he was and I really did understand that this was a scenario in which he could point out something that could comfort Randall that simultaneously exposed his own void. Like he doesn't have a William to look to like mm-hmm. Randall does. You know, and so this whole time when they're growing up, it's sort of like, well, you have bio parents and it's like, yeah, but you had an an older dad that you actually got to like experience that part with and I'll never have that. So it's mm. kind of like, a, oh, you know, it's not a really a big game of have and have not, you know, everybody's yeah. got their challenges is, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. So doesn't Randall say everybody has their stuff or something? Oh, like that. man. Yes. And that's true. I mean, God, you know, I, I love the saying be kind. You don't know what battles people are fighting that day. And that is like unbelievably true. If you get into a real conversation with someone five sentences in, you're like, I had no idea you were grappling with that. You know, that's that's really huge. Let's talk about what Kate and Toby are grappling with in this episode. It's the lighter 
uh, storyline, but there's probably still going to be some weight attached to it once we see whatever it is that happens after the Super Bowl. Because we're tying together whatever hard feelings Kate has about the dog when she was a teenager and a feeling of Toby's that he likes dogs. He would really like a dog, but he knows that Kate has has hard feelings about dogs, so he he has to hide his fondness for dogs his in a way that 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 seems like he's looking at porn when yeah. in fact he's just looking at pictures of dogs. Yeah, but puppy porn. Oh, I thought that it was incredibly well revealed there in that puppy porn because honestly, you know, I was just saying it was a family show. I was kind of surprised when Kate goes, are you looking at porn? Because that was kind of like as kind of like edgy as I kind of felt like some of the stuff has really gone in that area, you know? Sure. And so, you know, when she, when she said it, I was like, oh no, is he really? You know, so then for it to be like puppies was like, of course it is. You know, he's over there watching kittens and piglets do little dances. Nope, puppies. Adorable. And so, you guys, here's a little daily moment. We recently lost our Labradoodle, Maggie, who passed away a little bit ago. And so, we have been indulging in puppy porn and literally had just closed a laptop on looking at puppies when we turned on This Is Us. And so, for him to be, like, laying in bed watching it, we were both like... And talking about a, what was a coworker that had a Labradoodle or the something? The whole thing was like, I'm dying. I'm dying right now. Like they are just, this is exact conversation we just had, you know? Yeah. And so um, even her whole adventure of going to the shelter, like stay tuned. You guys might hear in like a month that like Caroline went to a shelter and surprised Paul because that's how the shit's shaping up, you know? <laughs> and so definitely that whole experience at the shelter and finding audio, thought that was like a cool name given all the musical, you know, references and themes in the show. And he was a cute little guy. I mean, he, he had a very unique <laughs> face oh goodness, and he looked like he actually shed tears at various points <laughs> that is a right. very like he's a soulful eyed yes, dog yes yes i loved it did you realize that it was jaleesa who was helping him from a different world and or helping kate she seemed familiar but i didn't make the connection until you pointed it out that was so funny i was like this is so wacky but this entire dog thing really exposes once again this big question mark of like what role did this dog play in Jack's fate and is this the you know obviously Kate is so sensitive about having a dog I pretty much was like panicking when she left that poor dog in the office Mm, yeah oh my god I thought Kate you this is too far you cannot get a dog and bring it in there and have it sit there like you're co-parenting at a principal's office Like, I mean, that dog was fully in on that meeting. I thought he was going to have to, like, put his paw on the paperwork as well, like, (laughs) sign off on the contract, you know? That was a good step for Kate, though, that she actually, you know, took a a step in this direction. I mean, she she likes to confront some of this Jack stuff by talking about certain parts of about it, but she obviously has her no fly zones and and it has to do with this dog and and she's going there a little bit you know oh hugely i mean i think owning a dog obviously is is a huge part of of her fear so i don't know let's get into our flashback so that we can try to start putting some pieces together here all right this is the final and apparently worst 
Pearson Super Bowl ever. I would say that uh, I will describe it as Jack did, which was angsty Super Bowl. <laughs> Jack Jack's excited for the Super Bowl. He's trying to get everybody in his house to join him just to watch the Super Bowl like they normally do. But, you know, the kids are at that age when they, they've got friends and shit to do that they'd rather do than eat your Super Bowl chili with you. No. And they kept referring it to it as the last Pearson Super Bowl because the kids were going to be off at college by the, by the next year. But we know it's the last Pearson Super Bowl. And that just hurts to continuously hear them say, it's the last one. We really need to like absorb this. It's the last one. Like, uh, like how much of a mind F is that? Well, uh, a big one. Like that if you if you paid attention to just kind of the minutia of this episode, or at least the way that I did. Maybe you don't get the same read. Um, you know, Jack finished the entertainment center and it was already painted. It was already installed. Everything was done. If you noticed the way it was built, he built it so that it, at the very, at the far end, not the end that was closest to the camera, but the far end that yeah. was close to the corner of the room. Yes. The, the shelf made an L and connected to the mantle or, or something yeah. there. And, and it was only like an inch of an L there. You could have just said, forget it. Who cares? It's just an inch. But he cared to, to go through the trouble of making that extra little piece so that it looked exactly right, you know? Oh, wow, yeah. And then so much of the rest of the episode was of how much he cared about this, this house and and how taking care of it was like taking care of his family. So he was very meticulous about every little thing that he did. So with the way that everything wound up, I mean, it just, for me, seeing him go through all that was like, I mean, I know it's just the normal everyday tasks, but for him, it was it's juxtaposed just, with, yeah. with the destruction later on. And it's in, and it's so, you know, so much his love language, you know, we had just watched back to an episode when Rebecca went into labor in season one and, you know, to watch him say his speech in the, the golf golf pro shop saying, you know, I don't want to be away from my family. I don't want to be away from my wife. I want, I want more time with them. I want to freeze time. I, I want to capture every moment and, and be with them all the time. It, it was like, oh my God, you know, and he, then he leaves those guys who are sitting there saying, oh, you get five hours away at least if no one's bothering you. He's just such a different, different animal. Our animal is hey. nosing oh around what are you doing? Hey. with some laundry on the hey. floor in a unauthorized fashion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's highly irregular, Maisie. Those are not your shorts, madam. <laughs> My goodness. All right. So we let's go kid by kid here. So we have Kate who got her call back from Berkeley and she has to send in an additional audition tape. I loved Jack's uh, suggestion that they make it uh, an actual videotape instead of just an audio tape. Which uh, to me would be like the most, I mean, fearless and legit way to turn in um, uh, that kind of thing. You know, it'd be like, this is me singing my song. It's definitely me. I'm kind of even surprised that they didn't require it, to be honest, because this was like the 90s. Yeah. It kind of, it's not like, I don't know, to send in like a cassette tape at that point seems a little like, I don't know, a little antiquated even, you know? Sure. We have that beautiful videotape of Jack with the mirror and, and um, Kate is has her blow up with him about like, you know, no one else sees me the way you do. And she gets an opportunity to actually review that tape and realizing like how much her dad um, you know, he's just, not, he's not kidding with her. He's not saying it to her because that's what dads say. 
Right. He's so sincere. I mean, how much did it break your heart for her to just rewind it and rewind it and rewind it? All that stuff. Every time that they every time they showed something that was probably not going to make it through the fire was heartbreaking in this episode. Especially. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was so grateful that Kate had her realization that Jack was sincere and that she needed him to be rooting her on, that it was coming from such an authentic place. And, you know, her going down and saying, you know, dad, like, please don't ever stop, um, you know, cheering me on, I think is amazing. And I definitely feel like, you know, I have a close relationship with my own dad and he now, I don't know, I swear to God, I don't know if he like read a book or heard a story or something, but I would say probably 10 years ago after we had the kids and we went through a lot with our children, he has like every time I see them, he says things like you're doing a really great job. And he's just like he's like like over the top says things that, you know, you think your parents feel about you or whatever. But he like says like you're such a great person. You're doing such a great job that. I'm so thankful for that because I feel like, you know, when you come down to those last conversations kind of thing, like family, we always say I love you. We always we don't let grudges carry on and stuff. And man, I feel like shows like this just beat it on home that like you don't leave when you're in a bad place with your dad, you know? Yeah. You're asking for it, aren't you? All this all this college talk is reminding Kevin that his the whole plan that he ever had for his whole life has gone way off the tracks. And what he was relying on to get him into college, since that's not available, he didn't really have anything else in plan B. So community college for him. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, it really just hit home when when Sophie gets into NYU and he realizes, like, I'm going to have to stay here and go to community college. It just it really. um Both of us took plenty of community college. I took probably what? a year and a half or two years worth of community college. So we're not besmirching community college. No, not we're at just, all. We're and just I, mentioning that Kevin fact, like, doesn't it, think it's a very big deal. Well, and in our town, it's like actually very common, common because we have like a, actually a really good community college that's like very easy to uh, access here. And so a lot of our seniors like go do a year there just to save money so that it's like then they only have to do the next couple years at universities just for a cheaper cost. You know, they yeah. get all their basics out of the way and hopefully grow up a wee bit. Um, <laughs> Paul and I did not do that. We went to college at I was 17 um, and uh, we were a little bit of monkeyish. So, yeah. But let's get back to Kevin. And um, I, you know, as much as I, my heart goes out to him and and I, and it really does, but I was really concerned and, and really sad by that comment that he said to Rebecca and Jack when, you know, they were trying to say, you know, hey, it's okay. It's no big deal. And he goes, don't you get it? I'm supposed to be in the Super Bowl, not sitting here watching it like you guys. I thought that was so cruel and this weird judgment on them that was like i mean could he look down on his parents more fortunately having been a high school guy that is not too far-fetched i mean that's not far-fetched at all actually that he would have that kind of ego it's embarrassing for you know to be another male and identify with that kind of behavior but i can tell you it's it's not tv bravado it's the real thing it just makes me sad because I i mean, I know that maybe there's a little part of him that, you know, truly feels, I don't know, that he was meant for bigger and better and that's okay. But I don't know 
you know, there's plenty of celebrities who go back to their parents and buy their their parents their home or or do something. And I, I it just feels so I don't know what the right word is like just awful that he takes his feeling of like I'm I'm here to do bigger and better and like but belittles them in the process of like sort of feeling that way, you know. That makes me sad. I, I really wish you didn't do that. Most of what I think we saw here was supposed to line up with, you know, what we said about old Kevin was that he seemed to be finally approaching his feelings with his dad. And then now we're now in this episode, we saw what specifically would lead to regrets on his part. So I, so we're thinking next week we're going to see a, just a, uh, what would you call it? Like a, a mashup <laughs> or the, the two things are going to really ram together, you know, like next yeah. week, present day Kevin is going to have some realization and then the other Kevin's going to realize what he just did. Right. The ramifications. And I think that, you know, they did a great job of really setting up like how many little moments like led to this in that, like, you know, he did call home and and let Rebecca know. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be like, you know, Judgey McJudgerson, but I really wish that, you know, Rebecca would have said, you know, no, actually, it is important that you talk to your dad, you know, uh, and handed the phone over. Now, I know that that's not the premise of the show. Obviously, he has to have this regret part. But I, I was I was trying to think about like, would I just let it go like that? Or would I be like, no, you really should talk to your dad? Well, that conversation was the it's troubling because it was the weakest part of the show because of the sleepover. The whole part. Yeah, I agree with you. And so for this massive regret to hang on this kind of weak narrative thread is reg- regrettable in, in, in my view. Right, because you didn't have to be sleeping over Sophie's. I mean, this whole thing could have happened at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and maybe his curfew wasn't until midnight or something. I don't know. We, we were in the 90s. We were there. And right. parents were not signing off on boyfriend, girlfriend sleepovers on Sunday nights. With school or the really, next day. Or really any night, but school nights especially, I would say. It was very weird. I mean, you know, I can tell you that on a, I'm I'm involved on a lot of the Facebook fan pages. And I can tell you that there was a lot of pushback from people saying, I slept at my boyfriend's house or my boyfriend slept on our couch. And, you know, uh, my parents, my boyfriend moved in with us and, you know, we weren't having sex, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there was like a lot of pushback of like that anybody who was thinking that that was unusual was being like very old fashioned and conservative. So my parents were old fashioned and conservative. I mean, I, but I didn't, I mean, Paula, we were dating at their age. We were dating at 17 and it did not cross my mind that there was anything even approaching appropriate about either of us sleeping at each other's houses at that age like, on a school night. Like the whole thing sounded so far-fetched. And I don't know. I mean, you guys as listeners, let us know, like, no, is this like completely stupid? Like, Everybody did this. Everyone slept at their girlfriend's houses or vice versa. I mean, I don't know. It just seemed, like you said, for such an important piece of the puzzle to rely on not only that, Paul, but that Rebecca didn't tell him that Kevin called. Hmm. Because later in the episode, when he comes downstairs, he says to Randall, oh, I thought you were Kevin coming home. So clearly Mm. he's going to bed, not with the idea that Kevin's gone for the night, which worries me for what that setup looks like. Because 
somehow he still thought Kevin was coming home. Oh boy. I just, I didn't like that both parts. I, I didn't think after having such a wonderful day together that Rebecca would not say that was Kevin on the phone. He's really remorseful. He's going to talk to you tomorrow. He's going to stay the night at Sophie's. Like it seemed very weird that they, she wouldn't have had that conversation, you know? Yeah. Finishing up with the kids, teenage Randall, his, his big storyline was just that he had a date. And he, he, he went and he had a date during the Super Bowl rather than stay home with his dad. So that that's what got him out of the house that night. But it, it wasn't really fully explored at all. He oh, was, I thought that it was pretty uh, telling that it was Titanic. Yeah, but we didn't spend any time with him. Yeah, but you just date. have to, I mean, but you can draw your own conclusions. I mean, for any of you guys who are way younger and haven't ever watched the Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Titanic... I don't want to spoil it, so close your ears for the next couple of minutes because we're going to talk about it, including, like, the ending. So, spoiler alert, okay? It's a 20-year-old movie. If you Get are 10 years old or 20 years old, maybe you haven't seen it doesn't matter. It exists. It's out there. Okay, so listen. Here's the deal, though. There's several moments in it that really worry me. There's a lot of the, you know, Jack is the character, Kate, the actress's name. You know, Jack sacrifices himself for Kate. That is scary foreshadowing. Jack dies, y'all. That's awful. You know, there was that whole part of you jump, I jump, Jack. It's from that movie. It also turned into a Gilmore Girls title episode. And um feel like, oh, I, I'm like inching towards a theory about how Jack dies that is all coming into that. The final conversation between Randall and Jack, I thought was great, where Randall was, he didn't hold anything back. He wasn't like, whatever, dad, shut up. He was like, Actually, I had my first kiss and it was awesome. And, you know, and I love Jack's response of like, you were a gentleman and of course. And, you know, just the whole thing. I just thought it was like so awesome. Was it realistic? I don't know. Like, did you, when you came back from one of your dates with me, was your dad like, so how'd it go? And you're like, we kissed. And your dad's like, oh. Uh, no, I didn't talk with dad about that. And would he have ever been like, oh. No. Would he been like, gross. Pretty much. <laughs> Their relationship, even though Jack is his dad, I don't know, it seems a little more like old friend and young friend or something. You know, it's like, it's, it, yes, it's, he's dad, but they, they still talk. He, those two can talk to each other more openly. And Randall doesn't seem to have as much uh, insecurity about re revealing things about himself to his parents. Yeah, I don't because I don't really feel like maybe it's possible that to be really fair, if you think about how um, criticizing Rebecca can seem to Kate and then how criticizing it seems like from Kevin's point of view, he feels both Jack and, and Rebecca are, um, you know, Randall doesn't really get that from either of them. You know, you don't hear a lot of like, you're doing it wrong, you know? Well, he, so then it'd be easy to say things with them because okay. they, they would just, they are always patting him on the back. It is true. They are always like, oh, this is your girlfriend. That's great. That makes sense. You know, I mean, really, I can't think of one episode where they were like, Randall, we don't approve of what you're doing or how you're doing it. Like ever. Right. So, I mean, again, Ellen, to your point, Randall's character is written very differently than Kevin's. And I, but I would, but I would also say differently than Kate's too. Okay, so let's get into what Rebecca and Jack, how they spent their final Super Bowl day. They watched together. Oh, yes. Well, you mean the... Uh... What did you think about Jack's decision to sort of dial back the concept of leaving his job and starting a full-on construction company and instead it being like he'll keep his job and instead he'll start with some simple, small house flips? More realistic. 
because he he is counting on needing to pay for a lot of college coming up or you know contributing to a lot of college coming up so the idea of go, becoming self-employed at that point is less than ideal for most people three kids at once you know right i agree and it just seemed like it would be just so much less to just bite off like you get a chance to get your feet wet you know well and find your crew right and all that other stuff that that you would need. Were you surprised that Rebecca was so not just like on board with this idea, but like really wanted to get involved? No. I mean, they've been they've been together on on a lot of stuff. It I don't know, it kind of reminded me of of the of of R&B and it kind of reminded me of what you and I would do if we were approaching that sort of thing. Okay, so we have to tell you guys something hilarious about P&C Incorporated. <laughs> So when we were in college, uh, which would have been 1995 to 99, for we, we were in Austin. And so we're in a big city, you know, and they have, uh, you know, a lot of people always passing out flyers and crap. OK. And so we got this booklet. And do you remember what it was called? It was like how to make money. It was like the easy way or something it was like, like that. Right? Mailing for wealth. Mailing for wealth. Shut your mouth. And then there was, was like it. twenty or forty or fifty bonus ideas of <laughs> how you can become wealthy by by following these. Do these you remember simple I, rules? I can remember one of the tips that we just were like so tickled with was you can avoid paying property tax by buying a Houseboat. Houseboat. We're like, that's brilliant. You know, here we are, 17, 18 years old, like, this is the smartest pamphlet I've ever seen in my life. And you guys, seriously, it was like a Xerox. And when I say Xerox, I mean Xerox copy where, where someone had just stapled like 10 pages together and folded it in half to make it into like a booklet. I mean, it was like, and we paid like $20 or something for that. I'm sure the point of it was, now we were supposed to go make a booklet and then hawk it to people for $20 a thing. Yeah. But you guys, just the fact that like we immediately thought we should call it P and C Incorporated. How is that not R&B, Paul? Like, I mean, it's just hysterical, which is, again, why I think that this show is so just touching. I mean, it's just one of those things that's like very, I don't know, like natural for couples to do. And I think just so touching, you know. Again, this is where it created a lot of that confusion with that original couple from the cold open because she's like so excited and says that she made this call in. And then that yeah. makes you think back to the old couple and you're like, oh, that's the house they're going to go buy. Yeah, because there's something that the old woman says about getting a call from the realtor or something. Yes. And so and it, so it's, it's like, it kind of oh. links up. But you know what the worst is about that, Paul? It made us hope. We thought we were going to see them go buy that house. Because we thought we even knew which house it was and we even knew which couple we were going to. And the reality was we're never going to see big three homes. Like, but it tricked us, right? Like you were totally drawn in. Like, yeah. oh, we're about to see their, you know, they made this phone call. This is like going to happen. Oh, you tricky writers. Whenever, whenever someone dies, it's natural for the people that they leave behind to think about all the plans that they might have ever had with that that person that that now are just never going to happen so we're kind of in on that arrangement with jack in that we're seeing these plans that that can never be done now mm -hmm. but we know it and they don't and it's it's such a weird feeling yeah such a, and, and like eerie and awful and 
You know, I mean, it's so well orchestrated, you know, the way that the story is coming together that, I mean, again, people will say, why are you so sad? You have known since season one that he wasn't going to make it. What the fuck is your problem? You know, why are you possibly this sad over someone you've known has been dead the entire time? And it's like, I, it is such a hard question to answer, you know, because you try to say, well, because we've really like fallen in love with him, but it's like, he's been dead the whole time. How can you be shocked that he dies? It's so weird. A lot of media buildup here. Oh my gosh. So much. You guys, I don't even know if this is coming out timely. So, uh, you guys will see that like CNN, like put out that like, oh, we have the reveal spoiler alert, spoiler alert. No, y'all. It is just a recap of this episode. So Shame on them for acting like they have the answer. But let's get into that, Paul. Let's get into it. So they decide, though, they're they're going to be partners. And I loved the banter between the two of them. You know, I always, you know, partner desk. I always wanted and, uh, you know, an office with a view. And, you know, and then him saying, like, we can't have sex in the office. It's unprofessional. I loved the whole banter. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. At least for Rebecca's part, she will have that memory of their last day. I mean, it's hard to, to know that right now but at least you know with the kids they all ditched their dad on their on their last day with him but she has that at least yeah that they had this really you know like i think a lot of couples have that you know what are we going to do after the kids are gone and like here they are had like made a plan and like they they had like a bright exciting future on the horizon you know the kids are going to leave and we're going to embark on this together like how exciting is that you know yeah So in this all this excitement, uh, Rebecca decides not to clean up the kitchen, but just to like head upstairs. And some people said on Facebook that, um, you know, that their parents used to do this, that they would like leave the crockpot warm for them because the kids were coming in later. And so they could like have a warm meal and that that was actually pretty common in most people's households to do that. Um, And actually, we saw Randall come and actually eat some chili out of the crockpot. So Mm. it was very like, I guess, common to do that. And um, as Crockpot has put out on Twitter and on many a publication, never has a crockpot had such an incident like this. That is a we're going about to talk about um, and that they are very safety conscious and this is not going to happen. Everyone stop throwing away your crockpots and stop bad mouthing crockpots. I feel so bad for Crockpot. I can't even, I can't even imagine how much damage this is doing to them. Who the hell is buying a Crockpot <laughs> anytime soon? And even don't you feel like if someone like gifted you a Crockpot, you'd be like, you bitch. <laughs> Are you trying to kill me? How dare you? How dare you bring up old wounds? Put this, I just scabbed over from Jack's death and you're going to bring a Crockpot to this party? Why don't you give me a landmine? Exactly. <laughs> like you're a jackass. Um, so... All right, so it turns out that uh, Jack comes downstairs and he talks to Randall and then decides to go ahead and clean up the kitchen. And that whole sequence was done with such heart. Was there any part that stuck out to you as like the sort of the like... Just the care that he put into it. I mean, this sweeping the crumbs into his hand and he didn't leave the room until it was spotless, you know? Do you know what got me? I'll tell you what part was like just the just the one step too far when he swept swept yeah because it was one thing to like clean up the food and put the tupperwares and all that stuff but when he like actually swept the kitchen floor and cleaned up there was something about that that was like so complete that felt like oh my god you know like he was so thoughtful he's putting away videos in the new entertainment center the whole thing the whole thing petting the dog that that ominous pooch that now we see has a bed downstairs that was no spider 
on his head. That was just the ear not facing the camera flicking around behind his head. I believe that that's true. Now, a lot of people have done like very close up CSI type videos of this dog. They said that they, you could see a spider or something crawling around on the dog's head. Boobery. And then when, when they reach out to actually do the, you know, pet the dog, they're saying, oh, Jack's going to get bit by the spider. And this isn't that kind of show. <laughs> we are going to see, they, they keep telling us that we're going to see something we've never seen before that everything we think we know about what kills him contributes to it, but it's not what kills him. But it's not going to be a spider bite. I 100% promise you. It's not a spider bite. The note to Kevin. Yes. Again, uh, just to follow through that thread of like, you know, Rebecca left a note on the fridge. Charlotte sends a note in the mail. This note to Kevin, um, you know, on the door from Jack. And, and and I thought that it was a very realistic note. Like, you owe us an apology. Like, it's not. It wasn't just all like flowers. You, said you owe me an apology. Yeah. I mean, and, and he said. Um, and he has future mm -hmm. Kevin with un- made no amends apologies, yes right? no apologies it's like he was it's the worst it is yes kevin will never get that note so it's like it's lost to the universe right but the it's whole thing it's connected still even the though they so... never met you know it's spooky very eerie 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 um, and I think it speaks to Randall's comment uh, back at the rehab place where he says, I wish that our whole lives were videotaped so that we could all see it. There are so many moments like that. Like, who knows if you missed a note that your dad wrote to you when you were in eighth grade or something that you just never got it. You know, the the, the tape blew off or something and you just didn't get it, yeah. you know, or something happened and you just you didn't know that the person called or but didn't leave a message or something like, you know, just those kinds of things. Where you're like, if only we all did have. But it would have to be the, the videotape in the sky because somehow it has to get catch it all at the same time. Right. So let's go with predictions. Well, I mean, we have to talk about that final scene, right? So he tosses the towel over by the crock pot and it turns out that this crock pot has a faulty switch and it goes up in flames in a major way. I mean, I think it engulfed that kitchen and that downstairs. No time. I mean, really, I mean, mm. the song they were playing was um, like the house that Jack built, I think, was the, was the name or of to it. to build a house. You know, they're describing this house of stone and, you know, everybody's sort of like, God damn, that house seemed like it was just made of kindling, you know? I mean, it went up like just like matchsticks, you know? Part of the stuff that Crockpot has been putting out uh, it, to, to defend themselves has been stuff like that the, that the power that actually goes through that switch is of such a low voltage that that just cannot happen. It just can't happen. There's the the physics don't back it up. It's just, <laughs> you know? it's, I feel so bad for Crockpot. Again, they have actually opened a specific Twitter account to deal with this and to talk to fans and comfort them. You guys, they had Dan Fogelman came out and 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 said. We're sorry, Crockpot. Yeah, we're sorry, <laughs> Crockpot. Yeah, I know because I mean this is huge. I mean I don't think that people understood. Again, like, I mean, so we cover this, uh, this, this show with a, with a larger group, so many shows. And we were talking with some of our fellow reviewers and, and not everybody watches this show. And I was trying to express to them, like, how serious this fandom is. And, you know, they were like, yeah, 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 you know, okay. Um, but then I started showing them some of the posts of like, you know, check this out. Access Hollywood has a psychologist available for fans. Like, ah, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like, this is 
affecting people in such a major way. I think not unlike when we just said the PNC Incorporated and, and all that stuff, like we have so much invested that their family's just like our family. You know, they have the same values and they want the same things for their kids. And, um, you know, we we want that marriage and we want those relationships. And it's like, wait a minute, their house burnt down. Wait a second, that means our house get burned down. You know, like it's like the connections are so real, you know? Deeply rooted, yeah. We leave it with these scenes for next week with Jack and uh, Randall and Kate and Rebecca appearing to all be upstairs by the way that the that is shot. Now, you guys know that these editors are crafty as all get out, so we have to be cautious about where everybody really is because I'm. I feel like they're all upstairs, but I don't know. You know? Yeah, I think they're all upstairs. So the question mark is when we watch those flames and again, how gut wrenching was it to watch those flames engulf the family photos on the stairs, the entertainment center? Well, the stairway, the whole thing, but the photos, because we don't you don't see a lot of photos ever of Jack, like in the whole in all their homes and stuff, you know, yeah. uh, one of the things I read was that the creators actually worked with the team who did backdraft the movie. Okay. And apparently this Super Bowl episode that's coming up on Sunday is going to be so well shot visually that apparently in the same way that like people sort of like could feel the heat, like when you're watching a movie like Backdraft, it is apparently going to be like a visual masterpiece that is going to be like you will have like a physical response to seeing the amount of like flames and the way that they're shooting it. They purposely did that, Paul. If you haven't seen Backdraft, it's highly recommendable. Very 90s, but... You have time, man, got, to go uh, see it. What, Kurt Russell and Billy Baldwin? And, yeah, I think uh, that's right. I think uh, Robert De Niro, I think. I mean, So Backdraft came out in 91. The director was Ron Howard. Uh, it starred Kurt Russell, William Baldwin, Robert De Niro, Donald Sutherland, and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Donald Sutherland plays this whacked out of his mind arsonist he's only in one scene but it is it is just eerie he's sort he's sort of like their hannibal lecter but in backdraft it's a great movie i i recommend it they handled fire in that like they treated it like wildlife photography you know they shot it in slow motion they made it into a character. It was such a visceral kind of response to the flames and stuff. It was really freaky. So again, the fact that they worked with that team, mm, 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 this is going to be scary. So what do you think is going to happen from the vantage point of we think the dog was downstairs. Now, animals are very smart, yes. very smart and very self-survival, um, you know, um, so... Did that dog run up the stairs? Did that dog somehow get out of the house? Is that dog anywhere? Where is the dog? The dog feels a little red herringish to me. I still like where you were going earlier and where we went earlier this season with checking on Kevin in the basement because, because Rebecca didn't tell him that Kevin is out for the night, like you just pointed out, right? Right. So I didn't, I never heard her say anything. So... I'm wondering if he has a last second hesitation about needing to be sure that Kevin is not in the basement already. Which, to be honest, if you think about it, like even really could Rebecca really be sure that he didn't come home? Like right. you would have to have that parent moment of like, are we sure 
he didn't come back home. Which is way more believable than needing to run in after the dog. I mean, I understand that Kate has this dog hang up and dad dying over the dog would be a pretty good reason why. But I feel like it's too direct. You don't get you don't get the same drama <laughs> as you do going after your son and then in, it not even being there. You know, that's where the big. Well, and if you think about the, the way that the smoke would work and stuff, you wouldn't know he wasn't down there. You wouldn't even know even if you were in the room down there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. And the whole experience, I'm sure, would be so, I can't even imagine like the blood rushing in your ears and stuff of like, you know, just the panic of the whole situation that I, I agree with you that I think that that could be a moment where there is still this, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure Kevin's not in the house? Just because, again, like I said, even though he called and even if Rebecca says, no, he called, He's not home yet. It just still feels like wouldn't some part of you want to make sure, you know, make sure he wasn't there. But I feel like if you look at the production footage photos of the burned out house, there's some really interesting ways that the roof looks uh, at various points. Like there's one part where there's like the bay window area that where there's like uh, like a part that almost looks like someone like almost slid off the roof, like part of the gutters kind of off of it. Yeah. And then there's the other side of the house. Like the if you're looking at the picture, it's the right hand side where like the the second story roof looks caved in in a circle. As if maybe people were standing up there or something. Or maybe even they broke out through the attic or something. And then beneath that, at like the porch level, there's another hole. But there wouldn't be a hole there from fire because like the rest of the roof is intact. It's like, this is my big thought, maybe they were going to have to jump in some way from roof one to roof two. And maybe even Jack would absolutely be the last one to jump. You know that. So if like, the kids did it and then successfully jumped off. Rebecca did it. you know. So, and if the, either the roof caved in or he jumped in that roof after being jumped on three or four other times, like gave way. Yeah. That seems very plausible to me because then when they say the fire was the was a direct cause of his death, but not like the cause, but there was like a direct line. Him like breaking his neck or breaking his back or any of those things seems very plausible to me, you know? Yes. So that's where I'm going. I'm going with some sort of jumping off of the roof or jumping or caving in and then doing something. I don't know. Some falling combination. damage. Some sort of falling damage seems right to me. Okay. So that's what I'm going with. And they said that it's never been. They say that how he dies has never been shown on TV before. So this is, I mean, in the same way that like there is no possible way anyone could have ever guessed the crockpot. Because they never showed them using it, to my knowledge. I don't remember it being a like a constant thing or something to worry about or something they ever mentioned as like a, oh, that old crock pot, you know, like nothing. I don't think anyone could have seen that coming. I think that there could be something in this like a tornado happens at the same time as the fire that like you couldn't have known. You just couldn't have known, you know. It just feels like they are going to try to weave in just like an extra something. Like if you could, if you were Dan Fogelman, I think you'd want to you know, George Lucas, this thing a little bit and cut in the scene of George giving the evil crockpot to pregnant Rebecca and Jack. You'd want to put that in that season one, episode one episode. And it would be like, you know, who cares about this old man? And then two, two seasons later, you're like, 
that goddamn old man, you know? Right. I mean, if you wanted us to be able to f- ever have any hope of figuring it out, right. you know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like I want to, I, they told us that they have told us more clues than anybody is like really have picked up on. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, that, you know, the crockpot starting it, I don't want to say it would be way strong to say I feel remotely cheated or anything, but I, if we if it is a mystery, you want to hope that you've been given enough clues that it's not like you've been following this certain set of characters and then it turns out to be the character's cousin who no one's ever mentioned before at any point until the final chapter of the book. Right. You know, like you hate that to wrap stuff up. Mm-hmm. So I really want whatever this is to, I mean, we definitely had the issue with the uh, fuse box. And so something like a, a surge or something could have happened, you know, with that crockpot. It was very unusual and very weird or something. Something to that would tie it back because people kind of said maybe it's electrical, an electrical fire. I would say if you said it was an electrical fire, I am giving you full credit for that. Because even though it was really the heat of the crockpot with the with the towel. The faulty switch. The faulty switch. and But I'm going to say that a surge, any kind of surge, which is what had been, there had been issues with the, I'm giving you full credit if you called electrical fire. Because I think that a small appliance in the kitchen feels, that feels okay. But this next portion of like, it's never been seen on TV before. I wholeheartedly agree with everyone who's saying we feel very confident that they are all very likely to get out of the fire safely. And then there even be a moment of calm. Like we think they all made it out. And then something else comes like very suddenly. Like some people have suggested the dog runs out into the road and Jack gets hit by the fire truck. could see that being a remote possibility. I I don't know. I have not seen this episode. They're probably not going to give us a screener on it. I think no way. Honestly. You're going to feel like Jack is going to make it up until he doesn't. Yeah. And it, which is the which is the most crazy thing ever, because, again, we all know he can't make it. And they've told us over and over that this is the last day. And we know that Kevin never got a chance to make amends with his dad, which means that like it, his death has to happen that night. Because any other scenario, it can't last like a day or two because Kevin would have come to the hospital, you know? Yeah. And even if he was unconscious or even if he was in a coma, amends could have been made in some way. But I don't get the idea that Kevin gets figured out and or anything until Jack is dead. Like, it's over, over, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the stuff that's real confusing, if you go back and look at that one episode where they show... Miguel's house with Kate and Allison and Randall sitting there with the dog. So dog alive. And and it's just apparently when they have found out that Jack has died and they want to share the news with Kevin, they are all fully dressed. They are not in pajamas. They are not wearing the same clothes that they wore that day. We looked really carefully at their uh, at their clothes. Randall was wearing a completely different outfit to go to the movies. He had pajamas on when the fire flames were showing in the preview and he was wearing a completely different but fully dressed outfit at Miguel's. Yeah, my question mark was, uh, since I, I have never seen Miguel's kids, I wonder if they're similar size because he does have, we looked it up, but it's like a boy and a girl. style. Do you know what I mean? Even like, it wasn't like they were in like a baggy sweatshirt. Like Kate was wearing Miguel's like- Miguel's not super tall and, and, okay, uh, okay. and Randall does dress like a little 
man going to business casual. He man. does. That's true. Well, and then okay, but then I would say too though that Kate is definitely wearing. No, you're right. This a, a, does like need to be explained. Baby doll dress. They were all in their jammies. We did see in the preview like that that Rebecca does grab and put on her her Steelers jersey, even though she was already in her robe. Uh, right, which kind of makes sense, I guess, in terms of like you know you might you might think you have I don't know a, a second freaking second which right. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Okay, so do you have any other predictions? Like, I I think since they said that these next episodes, like we watched basically one in what they're sort of considering to be like a three pack here. They're saying like this one, the, the Super Bowl one, and then that following Tuesday. So it's only like two days between that Super Bowl one and the Tuesday one. Yeah. Uh, NBC has to start playing the um, the Olympics. And so uh, This Is Us is off the air for a bit. Um, so they were saying that all of our questions are answered. Which, how far do you think we're going to get? Like, will we get his death on the Super Bowl night? And then will we see, like, the memorial service? Or will we just see, I don't know, the direct aftermath? Or what are we, how far are we going to get? You know, something about, if it's true that all the stuff you just said is true, uh, which I don't doubt you, then that third episode, if I expect him, I expect the what they're advertising to be true. We will see the the final act uh, on Jack's life, Super Bowl Sunday. Well, I didn't say it was Super Bowl Sunday. They just said all, they said within these three episodes, all your questions will be answered. So that if I'm right though, that third episode I think would be a highly unconventional episode. Like, I don't Uh know that it would just be a straight, like the day after narrative. I think it would be something almost dreamy. I like that, you know, like flashes of stuff, like, I don't know, memories. Like a timeline that would be super hard to connect. You might even get like some phantom jacks in there or something like just like it, just something not like, Like, well, we woke up the next morning and got back to business. Right. Or just anything, even just you're right. Like that makes sense that it would not be a traditional episode. It makes sense that it would be very surreal because that's how the fans are going to be feeling. So it really makes sense if we're very much trying to constantly put ourselves in their shoes then won't we all be feeling very surreal and i think i mean i think it's so masterful that they managed to line it up with the super bowl and it's they they even are doing it so late at night that the timing very gutsy but the, the timing actually is like the timing of the tv show right i mean it's like late at night on super bowl night is when this happened and that's when the actual episode is happening like i mean don't you think that that's like i mean oh, you, like it's you cool. said it's gutsy but it's like wow I well mean, if you think about it this is the biggest moment probably of the whole show and they plan to make this a five-year show and they're, they're putting their biggest moment halfway a little more than halfway through the second season this is an 18 or 19 episode season and they're going to do this on episode 14. So they still have four to go after that, right? So I'm just saying putting your biggest moment and kind of burying it in your in your season, when you're just watching it on DVD later, you know, it's not going to be Super Bowl Sunday anymore. It's just going to be episode 14. But I kind of think that that's cool, that they're actually giving us an experience that when you all go back and binge watch, you don't get. So that's if you're true. listening to us right now and you've binge watched it, then you guys should know that like the way that they actually put this show out when it really came out originally, you may be listening to this 10 years after it comes out because it's such an amazing show. You know, it might be in in reruns and everything that, you know, this was put out in such a really interesting way that people will be talking about just this, 
the the way that they timed it. And it really puts the fans in such an interesting, weird place because a lot of people go to parties. A lot of people drink during the Super Bowl. It's it's going to put people in such a funny, like, I feel like off kilter you know, they may have had a good time with family and friends all day. And then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, I mean, does it set your heart up for anything other than like the worst feelings ever? I just, I don't know. I mean, I give the credit the credit to the creator and, and whomever figured out the exact scheduling. But I even think that it's really amazing that they're not going to leave the fans dangling for another week or something. They're going to come back with a show 48 hours later. It's like, we're going to let you sit with this for just like one night and the next night we're going to come back and help you get together. You know, I mean, don't you think that's even wow? Yeah, it is. I mean, because I mean, this is right now the most popular show on TV. It won the SAG Ensemble Prize for drama. Mm -hmm. They were up against shows like... Big Little Lies had already won that kind of thing. They, other oh, actresses had been winning everything. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, 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 tons, tons of good stuff. They were up against. Uh, I think Stranger Things was in there. Oh. Fargo, I think, like shows that had won stuff already. This Is Us was starting to look a little like like an also ran in that category because in other award shows, yeah, Sterling K. Brown had won things, but but they, they hadn't won. had a super strong showing otherwise. Not as a whole group, certainly not. I mean, yeah. Sterling K. Brown kept kept winning a whole bunch. And he, do you know, do you recognize that he was like the first black man to win like many times? Like he was like the first one in a whole bunch of the different award ceremonies. He mentioned that at the SAG Awards. That just sounds so like, God, world, how have we not caught up by now? This is just a scene to well, me. Well, he said something at the Golden Globes that eye opening was that in this world of striving for equality, right? He had been what he called fortunate to receive roles that were written for a colorblind type situation. Like anybody could play this character. It wasn't important whether they were white or black or whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, in your mind, it's like, well, that's the way it should be. It's very academic. I can understand that. But he says that what makes this role special and that he's, you know, it shows that, that he can put so much into it is that it is actually written specifically for a black person and it is not something that anyone else could play. I'm sorry, you can't. Here he is winning all these awards because he can channel whatever that other little piece is mm-hmm. that makes it that much more to him. I I think that, you know, if I was a TV writer. Take notes, right? Well, and a little bit if I'd been in the business, I'd be like, well, God damn it. <laughs> They 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 rammed it down our throats that we can't write for you know for ethnicities because that's racist and and but then the second we do we're like well that's what we should have been doing why it feels very damnable Mm. either way you know interesting I guess it depends on how you're doing it if you're doing it in stereotypes still frown if you're doing it like it's a well-rounded character with with all this, you know, range and everything, and it and it happens to be, um, you know, of a specific ethnicity, then thumbs up. But don't just, like, have them come in and, like, say some stereotypical line or act in a very stereotypical way. Like, that's forever frowned upon, you know? Sure, sure. So, okay, you guys, I know this has been such a heavy episode. We have to mention the, um, the epic twist of that crock pot in the fact that, you know, they, they go ahead and let it slip that, uh, actually remember George at the very beginning with Sandy, um, he's the one that actually drags it on over to the Pearson's house 
and warns them of the faulty switch when Rebecca's still pregnant. So they had had that crockpot for like 17 years. And, you know, the family before them probably had it for like 20 years minimum. That crockpot might have been like 40 years old. Like Alert, people. If you have a kitchen appliance that has a heating element and a wonky switch... Throw that fucker away. Oh, my God. It's over. The you day don't even is done. Know. There's so many Twitter pictures of people with like showing their plugs unplugged. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, like going around and unplugging like this one guy's tweet was like, so, oh, my God, we all felt it. He was like, so my wife and I just finished This Is Us. We went around and unplugged 90 percent of the appliances in our house said a silent prayer to the smoke detectors and are going to bed. And it's like, oh, my God, how are we all not going to feel that way? You know, it just. It feels like it's they are so real and so typical that it's like, oh, my God. You know, given how fast that fire spread, um, you know, Kate wouldn't know this because she wasn't downstairs when the fire started. But if she had in the back of her mind that that, you know, remove maybe she removed that nine volt battery right. from the from the smoke alarm for her deal her Walkman. If she had it in her mind that that was a contributing factor, I could tell her Kate this fire swept through your house like nothing. The smoke alarm would have given you a second or two, but but not barely, anything more. I mean, yeah, you're right. And it wasn't even, you know, it's a weird word to say. It wasn't like a smoky fire. You know, it was like full, huge flames right The previews away. make it look like you know? next week's fire is going to be like really in their faces, very hazy. Oh, like it's uh, right up the stairwell. I mean, it just came right up the stairwell like crazy. I mean, it is a furious fire. That's what I mean. It's like that house is drenched in gasoline. It's crazy. Right. Um. Well, you guys, I mean, this is going to be a long break for us from now till Super Bowl Sunday. And I don't know anybody who's not going to want to be like, just let the clock run out and let this game end already because we've got important business. We are so both like it's so bittersweet because it's like i want it to come and at the same time i don't want it to be here at all i don't i want to watch it and i don't want to see it at all you know let me just skip to the end tom brady's gonna win oh my god well (laughs) uh, we'll see let's see if that glove holds that hand together it's all yeah. sewn up like Frankenstein in there, I bet. Yeah. Blah, disgusting. Gross. Okay, you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please, we love your listener feedback. We've been getting some different letters and emails from people, and we love responding to you guys. Hit us up on Twitter at Daily Review or on Facebook at Daily Review. Also on so many shows.com. And So Many Shows is also starting to do lots of radio. So if you like to be the kind of person who want like instant feedback, like you're like, I just watched that show, and I want to like totally talk about it right now live with somebody we are doing that with the walking dead the brave we'll be doing it for colony and there's lots of great shows if you guys have a suggestion for one that you would love to do that like i feel like it's nostalgic to be able to like call into a radio show or something because it feels very sleepless in seattle or something to me it's so fun to like get that instant feedback from other people who are so excited as you are so definitely check us out thanks a lot Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.